Bear Books presents Ending Samsara, written by JW Voice and read by Daisy Ray. Part 2 After a Cycle is Broken 2. Four and a half thousand miles across the North Atlantic Ocean, Marcus and Matilda ate breakfast in silence. The greyness outside imbued the tired, dim bistro with an added air of dreariness. Since they'd read their names in the newspaper over two weeks ago, their prevailing desire had been to recapture the light-hearted apathy with which they'd entered France. Such denial could only be sustained for so many hours at a time, however, and their willful ignorance suffered regular bouts of disruption. Cold, inescapable reality emerged either in the form of an inexplicable argument or spells of pensive silence, as experienced this morning. Marcus was most inclined to stay quiet this morning. He sensed the likelihood for casual conversation to descend into apparently irrelevant nitpicking before one of them inevitably folded and addressed the real elephant in the room. We could find a cinema later, if you like, Tild asked. Clearly the silence had become too much for her. One with English-speaking films. Yeah, sounds good, he said, staring into his cup of coffee. Or we could, you know, just go back to England. This was the quickest either of them had reverted to reality so far. Tild, Marcus said pleadingly. I logged into your email last night. What? While we were at the hotel having dinner, I told you I was using the bathroom. Marcus closed his eyes and pinched the bridge of his nose. Why? Well, neither of us is using a phone now. I wanted to see if anyone from the UK had contacted you. I bet that was fruitful. No one messages me on that address. Right. All I saw was a notification from a Reddit thread you contributed to. Marcus was silent. How significantly can you affect another person's life without ever meeting them? Okay. Someone kind of roasted you, actually. A Canadian, I think. I can't remember her name. Fine, I'm glad you amused yourself. You said no one could significantly affect another person without ever meeting them. She laughed. I think her opening remark was, what about organ donors? What's your point? Just that I'm stupid? No, they said a lot actually, and it got me thinking. We're all constantly being affected by the actions of others, however far away they are. Fine, I said something moronic on a silly Reddit thread, so? What I got from it is that regardless of whether you choose to put your head in the sand, like we're doing, a person's fate is usually in the hands of others, so maybe we should quit being ignorant and find out what ours has in store. All right, he said, forcing eye contact. You're suggesting we just go back? What are our other options, Cuss? Just act like permanent tourists. What happens when the money runs out? Then we find jobs over here. Oh yeah, with no visas or any basic grasp of the language between us. We can find jobs where we don't need to speak French and where they don't care about work visas. Matilda laughed, not at all jovially. You're serious, aren't you? You want to be illegal immigrants working for the kind of scraps sordid employers get away with paying such people? You'll be telling me to become a prostitute next. Don't be ridiculous, Tilde. Of course, she snapped. I'm the one being ridiculous. 
Think about things logically. Set aside the men after us back in London, the merciless killers, let's forget about those guys for a minute, and focus on one of our many other issues. The police will have checked over our house, babe. Do you understand what that means? She gave no response. There were still thousands of pounds worth of drugs left in the place. That's intent to supply right there. With my priors, that'll see me go down for years. Years, Tilled. He pointed his finger in the air. Oh, and don't think you'll come away from it all scot-free. If you're lucky, they'll just stick you with aiding and abetting or harbouring a fugitive. And if you're not lucky, they'll excise their right to rid the streets of another nasty dealer. Marcus made another precise gesture with his hand. Quick reminder of the law, psilocybin mushrooms are class A drugs. From a legal standpoint, delivering them is the same as supplying heroin. So sure, Tilde, let's hurry back to England and a couple of decades at Her Majesty's pleasure. With that, they both fell silent again for a while. Matilda looked like she was going to speak several times, but stopped herself. Selling mushrooms seriously carries the same penalty as selling heroin or crack, she eventually said. That's right. He nodded listlessly. If you really think resorting to a crap income in great surroundings is so ridiculous, maybe you should properly consider the alternatives. At least we'll be free. At least we'll be together. All right. Say the police found all the stuff in the house. Which they definitely did, Marcus interrupted. Fine. How come it wasn't in the article? What? Surely it would have been mentioned... Why did it say nothing about the uncovering of a bulk supply of Class A and B narcotics? God, is that really what you're pinning your hopes on? The omission of some details in a tiny tabloid article. Maybe they didn't want to muddy the story. Maybe the police didn't disclose it. Maybe they thought we might see it and it'd affect the likelihood of our voluntary return. If our supposed kidnappers decided to cut us loose. Okay, why not just deny it's ours? Excuse me? Our house was broken into. I bet they don't even know when exactly. What's stopping us from saying it's not our drugs? God knows who could have left them there. I don't know, Tilde. Forensics? The fact I was busted for the same thing five years ago? Marcus sighed. Face it, we're fucked. The only thing in our favour is the chance they think we've been abducted. Do you still have your phone? What? Your old business phone, the one you took the battery out of a while ago. Is it still in the camper, or did you chuck it? It's still in the camper. Well, one of your guys is bound to have messaged you, filled you in on what the police are saying. Turn it on. Check. And have them trace us. Are you crazy? I'm just saying we check. Drive out somewhere, turn on the phone for a minute, tops, and then destroy it and hightail it as fast and as far as we can. Away from there. It's too risky. He shook his head, raising a hand before placing it on his temple. And and I don't even know what it'd achieve. I'll tell you what it'll achieve, cuss. Tilde spoke up, staring deliberately into his eyes. It'll get me off your case. Marcus raised an eyebrow. Look, she said, if you're expecting me to just surrender to a life of illicit immigrant labour... All I'm asking for is a single minute to try and gauge how dire our situation really is back home. Marcus sighed. He conceded that getting his girlfriend off his case did sound constructive, and he quickly hatched a plan in his head. If we did this, and it's a big if, 
we'd have to drive to the nearest port, throw it onto a ferry and head straight back inland as fast as we can. Okay, is that a yes then? I haven't decided yet. Hypothetically though, say we turn on the phone and see a single message from Amir or anyone else confirming how screwed we are, will that satisfy you? Sure, as satisfied as any desperate fugitive could be. Okay, if that's what it'll take. We do my option though, we head for the coast. Today? Fine. Consulting a map he'd bought earlier in the week, Marcus had estimated that the nearest commercial port was nearly seven hours away, provided they made no stops. Less than an hour into their journey, Till tried to convince him that the measure was too drastic. I just don't think a load of alarm bells and klaxons are going to sound the second we turn it on. I think you're overestimating the ability of the Met. I think you're underestimating them. I've heard what they can do. They triangulate signals. The local authorities here will be on our case in an instant. It all seems a bit far-fetched if you ask me. Well, good job I'm not asking you. I made a compromise. Be happy with that. I just hope I don't get to say I told you so. What if we don't see anything convincing? Huh? If no one has messaged you, or they're too vague? Then we're in the same position as now. No, we need to know. Marcus took his eyes off the road for a second to glare at her. What now, Tild? I'm just saying we make sure. Call Amir. Christ, are you trying to get us caught? What if they've tapped his phone? Why are you so fucking paranoid? Don't call me that. But it's true. I'm just being cautious. It's probably the reason why we're both still alive and free right now. Doesn't feel like we are, Tilde mumbled. Marcus assessed the sadness in her tone. For God's sake, he huffed. All right, one quick phone call. But if we don't get through, that's it. Presume the worst, ditch the phone and move on, okay? Matilda didn't reply. Okay, he pressed. Okay. Somewhat pacified, she returned to the newspaper she'd been holding on to all morning. Marcus had already scoured every page as he'd done religiously for the last week searching for any further stories of a missing couple from Chatham. While no such articles had surfaced, this did not alleviate his anxieties. No news did not always mean good news. Marcus was glad to be driving with purpose again. After a week of helpless drifting, it felt empowering to take some form of decisive action. They clocked up the miles without speaking. Marcus nervously flicked through radio stations, settling on any song with English lyrics. Despite fierce hunger pangs and a painfully aching bladder after the four-hour mark, he refused to pull over. While he remained glued to the driver's seat, Matilda at least had the benefit of using the toilet. With a mingling of excitement and terror, he imagined the profusion of messages he was bound to be bombarded with upon switching on the dormant phone. Amir, along with his handful of other resourceful contacts in the greater London area, had ways of gleaning information supposedly only known to police. Marcus was almost certain someone would be able to inform him how the situation was. It seemed ridiculous, however, to think he and Tilde would simply be viewed as two innocent hostages. The incriminating evidence in the house was hardly well concealed. He considered that being wanted by the police scarcely altered their predicament, 
After all, they were already forced into exile by two frightening parties. What difference did it make to add another? Knowing for certain will get her off your case, he reminded himself. If this was what it would take for her to accept their dire straits and succumb to the unsavoury reality, then so be it. Six and a half hours into the journey, he felt dizzy from lack of food and struggled to maintain his focus. Why didn't I buy a sandwich for the road? He cursed to himself. It was the same reason he'd refused to stop anywhere, a fervent desire to simply get the task over and done with. The urge to urinate was also so strong now that wetting himself was not outside the realms of possibility. At the next road sign, he thankfully deduced that they'd reached the harbour in 20 minutes and he grimly endured every sharp stabbing second of it. As soon as he found an appropriate place to park, he leapt from his seat, bounding into the toilet and ignoring Matilda's cackles of derision. After taking what felt like the longest piss of his entire life, he rummaged in a small overhead compartment in the living area and found the phone and disconnected battery tucked away in the back. Be on the lookout for somewhere we can dash this without being noticed, he said, holding the handset aloft. Matilda nodded and the pair stepped outside. They walked along the open pier for a couple of minutes before she gestured to him. What about this one? She was pointing to a large cruise liner, apparently bound for the Caribbean. The back end of the ship was largely unmanned, and from what he could tell, it was close enough to reach with a decent throw. Yeah, that looks good, he said. He took out the battery and the rest of the phone from the pockets of his jeans. Start counting, he said. What? Why? We agreed on a minute. Cuss, come on. That was a figure of speech. Just turn the damn thing on and be quick. Marcus shook his head, his eyes filled with apprehension. Fine, here goes. He clicked the battery into place and held down the power button. The phone seemed to take an eternity to boot up. When it finally did, there was a tense intermission as it caught up with itself. As he'd been expecting, it flashed with a flurry of notifications, missed calls, voicemail messages and welcoming text messages from French roaming services. Amir had sent him several texts. Has someone seriously kidnapped you, bro? was the core of his moronic inquisition. Amongst the list of missed calls, he saw several from Sergeyev, the previous owner of their RV. Well, Tilde demanded, what are they saying? How screwed are we? Not sure. Let me listen to my voicemail. He dialed the number. You have six new messages, the robotic voice informed him. First new message. Yo, bro, where are you? You good? Second new message. Bro, I don't know if you're hiding or what, but give me a call, okay? Third new message. Listen to me, you little chicken shit. This third one was from the Russian. I don't know what you're trying to pull, but we made a deal and I need the rest of the payment. You have till this afternoon to send me my money or see what happens. Fourth new message. Cuss, you gotta tell me what's happening, Amir said. Me and the boys are worried. Fifth new message. Mr Runaway. Something immediately struck Marcus about the Russian's tone in this next message. It was lighter. The aggression was absent. Bet you think you're pretty smart leaving your place like that. Thought you'd hide out somewhere till I gave up. Well, listen here. Me and my men came knocking, and when you not answer, we let ourselves in. The hairs on Marcus's neck were pricked up. 
we not find you, but guess what we did find? Yes, that's right, your stash and many other things. Let's just say your drug running days are over. We took your shit. All of it. We estimated value and, well, consider the debt paid, plus interest. He laughed, but it looks like you're changing career. Marcus felt himself smiling involuntarily. What? Tilled mouthed. He ignored her and kept listening. If I hear you selling so much as an eight ball to a teenager, we come knocking again. Serge is the source now, my friend. I got your lamps, your seeds, the goddamn containers you grow everything in. Your house is cleaner than a bishop's bathroom. Sixth new message. Bro, we heard your place was done over. Call me if you can. End of messages. Marcus disconnected the call and just stood there silently for a moment. Well, what's going on? I need to call Amir. What? I thought you didn't want to make any calls. Who phoned you? What were the voicemails saying? As soon as I speak to him, I'll tell you, Marcus said, tapping the call icon next to his friend's name. Amir answered quickly. Hello? Yo, it's Cuss. Shit, bro. I was sure you was dead. No, mate, we're very much alive. Listen, what's the word on the street about us both? I told you, bro. We all thought you'd been dealt with. What about the old Bill? What about them? Have they put out a warrant? For your arrest? Yeah. Nah, man. Just missing persons. For real? Yeah, I thought it was weird. I was sure after they'd been in your place and found your supply, they... That's the thing, Amir, Marcus interrupted. I don't think they did find it. Bro, I saw your pad. It was like a goddamn botanical garden. What you do, burn it all? I was robbed. You was robbed? By who? Sergeyev, the Russian. He took everything. Shit, bro, I'm sorry to hear that. You took some with you though, right? That was your plan. Marcus considered his next words, deciding quickly that his friend didn't need to know about his recent business in Scotland. Nah, man, it's all gone. Shit, so you're out? Completely? Afraid so. Besides, Serge says that if I start running again, he'll come after me. Damn, where... where does this leave me? I think you're good to continue, but it looks like you'll need to find another supplier. Just like that? Oh, man. I'm sorry, mate. So, you and me, we're through? Looks that way. That's peak, bro. Yeah, Marcus said, trying to sound contrite in spite of the smile on his face. Okay, bro, I guess it is what it is. Listen, it was pleasure doing business with you these last few years. Same. You take care of yourself. You too, Amir. Stay safe. After hanging up the phone this time, Marcus took a minute to collect his thoughts. Marcus, Matilda snapped. You want to tell me what the hell is going on? Sorry, babe. Um, where to start? Okay, first off, I know who broke in. You do? The hitman? Nope, the Russian. Huh? The guy who sold us the camper? Him? Seriously? Why? You remember about the money I owed him? Yeah, you said it was the least of our worries. Well, from my perspective, if someone is trying to kill you, everything else does kind of become secondary. Okay, but it was definitely him. Yes, he told me himself. Okay, what else did you learn? She frowned, and why the hell are you smiling? Marcus laughed, 
Looks like the guy did us a pretty big favour. How so? It would seem that by the time the police checked our place over, he'd cleaned it of any incriminating evidence. He took the drugs. The drugs, the equipment to grow them, everything. Holy shit. I may have just confirmed it. The old Bill isn't after us, Tilde, at least not for what I thought anyway. Oh my god, that's amazing. We're on the missing persons list and we probably have some explaining to do, but they've likely got nothing serious to charge us with. Okay, wow, a lot to process. This is good news though, right? Matilda's smile was a beautiful thing to behold. He'd not seen it for weeks, he couldn't help but continue to grin with her. Yes, this is good news. We're going to have to call home and face some questions. Marcus paused, laughing as he looked around the docks for a moment. I'm sorry, can we get out of here? Tilde laughed too and nodded. The scenery was not quite up to the level of French resplendence they'd been used to. Want to stop somewhere nearby for food then hit the road again? Great idea. They drove several miles away from the overbearing backdrop of grey concrete, rusted metal and bird excrement and soon found a quaint little coastal restaurant. Marcus wanted to celebrate. He ordered a bottle of champagne and they gorged on local seafood. Perhaps his mood had affected his taste buds because the scallops on his plate seemed fresher and more flavourful than any he'd remembered eating. With their appetites settled, they then chose to head back inland, as previously decided. By the time they found somewhere to park for the night, the excitement of the day had rendered them both utterly exhausted. Less than an hour later, they were sleeping soundly and neither of them stirred for a solid twelve hours. The next morning it occurred to Marcus that they'd both been suffering from substantial sleep deprivation in the last couple of weeks. I didn't even notice your horrendous snoring last night, he said. Matilda responded by whacking him in the face with a pillow. It was not until they'd eaten breakfast at a nearby cafe that discussions turned serious. Right, Matilda said. Yesterday, as things stood, we were both wanted drug dealers running from hired hitmen and the guy you owed thousands to. Oh, and also suspected hostages. Yeah, Marcus agreed. Now only two out of four of those things are true. He smirked. Maybe we can straighten out that hostages thing, he said before letting out a long sigh. But one thing remains. Yeah, can we properly talk about that, she asked. Marcus raised his head. Let me say something and promise not to get mad. What? You've not smoked weed in two weeks now, right? Yeah. Well, with this new level of sobriety, do you actually still think people are out there trying to murder us both? Marcus frowned. I know what you're getting at, and it wasn't paranoia tilled. His expression was intense, as if his sanity was being called into question. I watched two men lynch someone and make it look like suicide. I'm not doubting that, babe. Then what? I just want you to consider the facts. I know Gaz is dead, and I know how it happened. But a fair bit of time has passed since then, and we're still standing. No one has come after us. Do you not think that if these people wanted us dead, they'd have arranged it by now? How could they? We've been in hiding. Oh, come on, have we? She paused. Okay, after Gaz was killed, we spent the first two weeks in the house, sure. We've stayed mobile since then. 
but we've hardly kept a low profile. It seems like they've had ample time and opportunity to act. Why haven't they? Maybe they've been biding their time, figuring out the best way to do it without seeming suspicious. Just what do you think their reasons are, Marcus? Their reasons? Yes, she cried, their reasons for wanting you dead. You've never properly explained that to me. I think now is about time to divulge this bloody theory of yours. It's pretty simple. You know Gaz was rich. Yeah, head of his own software company, great big apartment, your biggest customer, blah, blah, blah. Well, he was also a bit of a shady dude from what I gathered, and he'd started to express his intention to branch out. Branch out into what? The drug business. He said his IT company was the perfect front to start his own operation, and that he also wanted my assistance. Okay, I do remember you mentioning that. Well, I think some other big player caught wind and also heard of my involvement. But you said you weren't interested. Maybe they didn't know that. So, you think some big kingpin supplier found out his plan and wanted to kill you both before you got started? I think they were on to me already, he sighed. I must have been on their radar. Dealers know about other dealers. I think they only let me carry on as I did because I purely dealt in weed and mushrooms. I reckon the second they heard whispers of me stepping into their domain for real, they wanted to stamp it out. And I think that's when I led them straight to the main man. Okay, you led them to his house, but they only killed Gaz. Why were you so lucky? I told you, I hid in his panic room. They didn't know I was there. But you said they'd intentionally followed you. Surely they wouldn't have just let you get away. I don't know. They must have thought I'd slipped by them somehow. Tilde paused, shaking her head. It just doesn't sit right with me. If they're as legit as they sound, that seems pretty sloppy. And what would stop them from finding our house? No one important knows our address apart from Amir Tilde. You know this, and I trust him. There's no record of me living there. Everything is in your name. That's the only reason I was content to stay there for a week. They needed to track me to find out where Gaz lived. And despite what you say, I reckon we've done a pretty solid job of laying low since then. We've been driving round in a bloody two-bedroom detached on wheels, Matilda said. Look, I understand you have a hunch, but you need to just recognise it as just that. A hunch. Come on, it's more than a damn hunch. What about the removal van? Was that more than a removal van? Marcus folded his arms and looked away. Well, until we find out for certain, this is all we have to go on. And how do you suggest we do that? Find out for certain. We just need to find out who those guys work for. Now that it's safe to go back to England, we need to get hold of that footage from Gaza's panic room. Jesus, footage of his murder? All we need are some stills, some clear photos of the men. We don't need to show them strangling Gaz, but if I show them to my mate Z, I bet he can find out who they're with. Then what? If he tells me they're connected with a big supplier, I'll have my answer. I'll know what all this was about once and for all. But that won't stop them from coming after you. Marcus nodded. Have you ever read The Art of War by Sun Tzu? He said after a pensive pause. Tilde raised an eyebrow. You know I haven't. 
Marcus wore a distant stare. If you know yourself, but not the enemy, for every victory gained you will also suffer a defeat. Tilde rolled her eyes. Fine, but cut the pseudo-philosophy, this isn't a game. If you'd like to learn more about JW Voice, the author of this story, pop along to the show notes where you'll find a link to him right there. And as for Bear Books Podcast, we're on all your favourite social media, Facebook, Instagram and Twitter. See you on the next episode. Music